Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. China manufacturing PMI data reported an uptick in activity for the month of September, the first expansion since June. But while the country's manufacturing activity grew, services and new factory orders contracted, continuing to put pressure on China's overall economic growth. Meanwhile, Japan's large-scale monetary easing policy has contributed to its low inflation, the lowest amongst major economies. Portfolio manager Eileen Dibb joins us today to unpack what's next for Asia and look at how advisors and investors could position themselves in this region for the months ahead. For Canadian investors, Eileen manages Fidelity Asia Star Fund and Fidelity Japan Fund. Also today, among other topics, Eileen will provide a positioning update for her funds across the Asia-Pacific region. Today's podcast was recorded on September 30th, 2022. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. What might be next for Asia? How, how different is the inflation geopolitical interest rate story when you kind of combine it and look at the rest of the world versus Asia? Asia has been at the end of the currency debate for a very long time. The U.S. and interest rates in the U.S. drives a lot of the conversation. In what I do, I look at where I think rates are going in the U.S., what expectations there are for currencies, and then adapt and look at countries and the companies in those countries where I can see value, where I can see things that will react positively to the moves, and also looking for things that react negatively and getting off of some of the companies, getting out of some of the companies that will not do well in this environment and moving to places that will. So there's there's a lot of ways that we can think about these moves in, in rates and in currencies and a lot of levers that we have that we can pull to adapt and hopefully prosper. So it, it, let's first of all sort of break down the funds themselves that you manage and, you know, kind of within that a little bit on perhaps ASEAN, looking at India, looking at China. Obviously, the Japan fund is somewhat self-explanatory of what it covers. But I wonder if you could just kind of break down the economies within Asia Pacific that, you know, compare and contrast them a little bit for us, broadly speaking. So Asia Star has a lot of different exposures between developed markets and EM. And within that, there are certain countries within EM that have done worse in, in times when their currency has been under pressure in the past. This time, some of the EM economies, for example, Indonesia, probably have better reserves than they've had in the past. They might not be run quite as big of deficits because they have more commodity exposure. And then there are the other, some other countries in Asia who are having 
I wouldn't say more issues, but more impact on the currency. For example, Japan, again, has been very weak and the Japanese policy towards uh, quantitative easing and low rates has not changed. So that does affect what happens in Japan, but big currency reserves. And so they have started to obviously step in a little bit, protect the yen on a certain level. And I would expect that maybe within a range, um, the Japanese yen, um, the currency intervention works to keep the yen within a range. And at that point we get, you know, changes in policy potentially. And, and some countries haven't really started that yet. Some countries are already on their way, also raising rates, also doing certain things. I might just jump in on, on Japan and ask you, it's it's a very interesting economy. It's got great strength. It's a huge economy. I mean, equities must look sort of cheap, uh, somewhat on sale because of the currency. I mean, there must be an element of that. What we need to think about is where does the currency go from here? Does it get cheaper? Do the yeah. equities become even cheaper? And within that, which companies can we get into that have exposure to the weekend on the revenue line, on the profit line that will make them more competitive globally and how that plays into earnings numbers in the in the sectors, in the stocks. And at what point does that currency start to turn around and that effects start to shift? So it does mean that things can get can get cheaper and they have. But it's it's really the, the continuum. And where are we on that spectrum? Looking at other parts of Asia and, and perhaps more what's within Asia Star, you mentioned that certain countries have been kind of on their way with either raising interest rates, if that's what they need to be doing. Tell us a bit about China. We mentioned the PMI data that came out that pointed to, to some growth, but also some nuance within that. Tell us a bit about the economy of China at this point, how it's looking. We're, are we days away from the Congress now? Can we say days? We're getting close. And, and really the question is, how does China reopen? How much growth comes back? Obviously the real estate sector is still, is still struggling with you know, some of the fallout from what happened in the last 12, 24 months. And where do we find growth going forward? Can we continue to see numbers that come out of China that look like they used to? And that's really the big question is, is how does that, how does that work? And a lot of it has to do with uh, FDI, where investment goes into the region. Does it continue to go into China or does it go into other economies in the region where maybe manufacturing is being diversified. So China has a lot of things going on right now, and it has to deal with a lot of different things in the global arena as well. You read a lot about this, and it seems somewhat logical. Maybe you can put this into um, a better framework for us, but it looks like you'd have a bit of a darkness before the dawn. And once the Congress sort of occurs, and you would imagine there will be some more positive announcements from the government from the policy side of things? I mean, does that, is that sort of stand to be logical or how would you look at that broadly? Again, it's, it's the levers that can be pulled and China has already been pulling levers. I think that economic activity has been really affected by the COVID lockdowns. And, you know, we, we're still in that state where China needs to make sure its population is well vaccinated in order for it to 
for it to come out and be able to be completely open economically. You know, Chinese tourism in the region has been a huge deal. A country like Thailand can have tens of millions of, of tourists per year. And a lot of that is from China. If China is not there going into the region, then you, you know, you really see different um, effects across the region from China still not being open. So there's the domestic economy, which needs to have uh, movement X the lockdowns, but then there's also the regional economy, which also needs that movement. Yeah, fascinating. We we certainly saw you know, over a year ago now the story with Chinese technology companies. They re-rated significantly, along with tech companies across the world too. But where does that stand now? I mean, it's we've seen certainly some life in in some of those bigger names, the the sort of household names. Where where do some of those companies stand at this point in terms of investment opportunities? It comes down to the individual companies. There have been pullback. There's been a pullback in some advertising, of course, as the economies generally globally have slowed. And so there are companies that are levered to that. There are companies that have gaming, for example, within the Chinese tech industry. Those gaming companies off did very well during COVID as people stayed home, did their phones. And so, and we also saw, you know, in the last couple of few years, the Chinese government not bringing as many games to to the market, allowing as many due to some censorship of content. I think it was called spiritual opium, wasn't it? I mean, that was one of the oh. reasons that there was sort of a, a cutback in certain areas of the yeah. game. Well, yes. And, and I... I get what that means. <laughs> um, and and so really looking at Chinese tech is a matter of getting through, cutting through what each company is doing. And and I have added a little bit back on that front. I, in Asia Star, had taken down a lot of the technology positions back in you know late 2020 when I thought the valuations had gotten to an extreme. And now that they have gotten cheaper, I have actually gone in and added some position back there. So, for example, in Asia Star, we're still underweight China, um, still underweight Chinese tech, but starting to nibble a little bit, let's call it. Okay. Do you, the, another question that sort of circulates is whether the world is, is positioned for a more, you know, to the upside or, or potential of upside. What, what sort of upside do you see for, there's a lot of, bad news, it seems, priced into various markets. How, how does that stand perhaps for China, then also looking at other economies as well? But let's let's begin with China. The, the world has priced in, investors are priced in quite a lot of bad news. Is there room for positive upside surprises? I, I think we will we will go into the end of the year looking for earnings. I think that there could be some still pressure on earnings globally. You know, if we are entering an economic late cycle, that will make a difference uh, as to what will do better going into the next year. I think there are some indicators that we are getting towards late late cycle. And of course, that means portfolio positioning towards those stocks. So even if the market in itself and, and in Asia, obviously, the markets can be correlated to each other, but there's also markets that act differently at different times, getting in the right places for that to happen and really positioning where we see opportunity. So there, there's always room for upside. 
sometimes you have to look really hard to find it. Somewhat continuing from the discussion of currency that we're having a little bit before. So this is asking an opinion of whether other countries sort of join and adopt a single currency as an alternative to the US dollar. I mean, it, you do hear this brought up sometimes. And do, do you give it any credence? Or how should investors think about those types of headlines? I, I think they have been around for a while. You know, obviously, the US dollar has been, you know, a, a very powerful currency for a very long time. And so where we go from here, you know, it, it really depends on various countries, how they position themselves. And, you know, anything is possible. We, we see this all the time. We, nobody thought there would be a pandemic. There was a pandemic, you know, so, so anything is possible, certainly. But obviously, big changes take a lot of work from a lot of people. And that tends to be slower and more difficult to achieve. Tell us about India. We've seen actually even on the geopolitical stage, some, some changing or some comments, let's put it that way, vis-a-vis sort of the geopolitics of the world and what India thinks of them one way or the other. That's, that's very much sort of on the top geopolitical side of things. Has the infrastructure in India become sort of a new story? Has it advanced? Are there, are there What sort of opportunities do you see in India at this point? Which sectors? I have long liked the banks. I think we talk about the banks in India quite often. Also, in most of the markets um, that I look at, consumer staples has been a good place to be. We are seeing price increases across the board. India is no exception. We kind of see mid-single-digit inflation rates. And when that happens, a lot of consumer discretionary, obviously, spending falls off. Staples continues to be strong. Um, We have been positioned in both banks and consumer staples in India. We continue to be to be there. And, you know, there is a lot going on. Infrastructure in India should be an area of growth going forward. And so, you know, that's another area that while I'm focused on, I am not so invested in at the moment. Just zigzagging a little bit. Hong Kong is is opening up a little bit more in terms of how investors invest. Do you have any comments just on sort of market participants being able to move a bit more freely in and out of Hong Kong? There's always questions about the ADR slash things listed, perhaps more in China. Is there anything to update that you want investors to know on that front? I think the relaxation of quarantine into Hong Kong, I believe they are taking away the last of the uh, quarantine requirements. You do need to quarantine at home, will help people to travel. Um, I know that we have a bunch of analysts who are in Hong Kong. Some of them have not been, have not seen family for a few years because the quarantine requirements have been difficult. I think it also helps to keep business people in their seats in Hong Kong. You know, I think Hong Kong has seen some definite migration away as it had more severe lockdown and quarantine requirements than some other places around the world. And so I think that we could see business conditions coming back in Hong Kong over the short term. And and apparently all the flights from Hong Kong to Tokyo and some other places, because Tokyo is also opening up more to tourist visas and you know taking a lot of requirements off from COVID, 
we expect travel to start to rebound in the region, and that will also help all of this. You know, it's all circular. One thing helps the next, helps the next. You know, it's it's. I think you know, as long as COVID continues to be relatively on on this pathway that we're on at the moment, it will be good for Hong Kong and their business conditions. Do you see another round of Chinese lockdowns and how would this, you know, affect GDP, affect the overall economy, obviously? I think that's the concern, isn't it? Or one of them, because when you've seen so many, you sort of question why wouldn't there be another? But what do you think? There could be lockdowns. I think that vaccination, you know, China has gone towards the let's test and make sure every and, and testing itself, I think we've talked about this before, costs, you know, a percentage of GDP to if you're testing everybody in your, you know, 1.3 billion people area twice a week, that's a big expense. Um, vaccination, shots in the arm. I'm going to get another shot today personally, um, get the new hybrid that we have in the U.S. Yep, I, I, I firmly believe that that is the way out of this is to get everyone vaccinated. And China needs to concentrate on that. You know, lockdowns and testing are there. They you know, lockdowns hurt the economy. Testing is expensive. So I think there's nothing to say that they won't have to lock down again. I don't know if the, the, the Congress finishing will change that. You know, they have talked about China opening up more after the Congress. So it's, it's really about, you know, what happens um, with vaccination rates and things like that. And I'm just, I'm, I'm continually shocked a bit that China has not been able to get more, particularly the elderly vaccinated, I, I, I wish that they would, because it's uh, unfortunately, as we, my own family, we have seen, if you're elderly, you get COVID, you're unvaccinated, it will knock you for a loop and possibly kill you. It's, it's yeah. not completely innocuous. Um, yeah. So very difficult still to be completely not locked down in China. Is there, I mean, we do hear anecdotally that there there's an mRNA vaccine. I'm sure it's being researched. Uh, I don't know to what extent, but then you'd have to get everyone vaccinated. Anything on that front and and perhaps associated the healthcare sectors across across many of the countries here, where where do you see opportunities for for growth, if at all? I think that the mRNA is probably coming. It it is not as easy to develop as I think people think. And I am invested in Japan in a couple of pharmaceutical companies, both of whom have fantastic drug pipelines. Um, they are making really cool drugs that are helping some really bad conditions and a little bit in Chinese biotech. And that is a place that keeps getting slapped around a little bit by the US. And, and in terms of CDMOs in China, I think that there is opportunity there. So, um, you know, the mRNA. What are CDMOs? Um, they are manu- They basically kind of take yeah. the contract manufacturing of, of mm-hmm. pharmaceutical drugs, um, and um, out they're they're basically outsourcing places that when drug developers want to do sort of trials and and other things, these companies will step in and some do trials, mm-hmm. some do just the manufacturing. But it's a big industry of of basically drug manufacturing outsourcing. Right. Okay. Fascinating. That's so interesting. So the, so the healthcare side of things uh, is of interest in certain countries and, and uh, in certain areas. Absolutely. And and healthcare I think has one of been one of our best performers 
in the past nine months and and you know getting the right companies with the right pipelines has been i think something that we've really tried to do and have done relatively well over the past few years and in an environment where defense has worked better than offense this year healthcare has been a nice place to be and i'm happy that that some of our positioning in both the japan fund and in asia star has worked well for our our shareholders within asia star you can i guess you you have the flexibility to to move a bit within opportunities and sectors and so on but also i guess as different countries open up you you have the the flexibility to sort of move from one economy to the next. Do you want to just discuss that a little bit and, and actually how that's relevant right now, if at all? I think the flexibility really helps. And when I look at different countries, everything goes with currency movement, as well as the fundamentals of, of the companies that we're investing in. My country weightings can change quite substantially over time. At the moment, we're, we're overweight a couple several countries in the region. We are underweight. We're out of a few countries. And all of the geopolitical, all of the currency movements, all of the company fundamentals all come into play. So, you know, I I may love um, Indonesia, and we have actually had a stock, a couple of stocks there that have done very well. There have been other stocks that have not done well. And so, you know, the weighting in the country is often affected by being able to find stocks that will do well in a country that also is attractive. So really it's stacking um, all of these factors and, and making sure that the weightings in Asia Star are correct, the weightings in the countries, the weighting in the stocks, um, and trying to get that mixture. So I'll just come back to, and you've answered it to an extent, but, you know, <sighs> It's been a rough year. It's been a rough quarter. We said we said that at the beginning. Going forward, is it possible that so much bad news is priced in that this, particularly geographically, is an area that that maybe just has a better foundation to have some upside surprises? I I just sort of go back to just kind of remind us how you see opportunities in Asia. Asia tends to have slightly higher growth. I mean, we still do see great technology, great manufacturing coming in. We, we, we talked a little bit about FDI companies who come in and who, you know, in the US, I think that our inflation has moved from supply side inflation, which we've talked a lot about, more to wage inflation. And so mm-hmm. when you have these disparities between countries that are developed and still have high wages and they're going higher, you could also see opportunity where, you know, manufacturing is shifted to Asia, back office outsourcing is shifted to Asia even more than it has been. And so there are opportunities in Asia. I think growth rates globally tend to be um, maybe a little bit on the high side, um, but we've heard a lot of different opinions on that. And so whether Asia, works or not is going to have a lot to do with continuing to do what it does well. And that's on a bunch of different fronts. And so, and Asia has over the past several years has often been one of the highest growth regions in the world. And especially on the, the less, um, on the emerging side, uh, we have seen quite high 
rates of growth. Even if they come down a little bit, they could still be substantially higher than what we're going to see in the rest of the world. You know, there's been a lot of tragedy in the last few years, um, Europe, war, you know, a lot of things that have just been very difficult. And Asia has in some ways skirted some of the main issues that has affected global economies. It's fascinating. It's fascinating to watch and to hear you talk about the opportunities that you're seeing. Eileen Dibb, thank you very much for joining us today to speak about Asia Pacific. Thank you, Pamela. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.